Okay, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to our special episode. We're going to be talking a lot about Rogue One, and much like Rogue One, we're going to skip the crawl and get right to the good stuff. Yeah. And by that, I mean we're going to keep it spoiler-free for a good five or six minutes, maybe. <laughs> and then? If we can. And then we're going to ruin the whole goddamn movie. So, uh... I'm just warning you, we're going to talk really briefly uh, of overtones, how we felt about the movie, and then we'll get to it. Uh, so as always, I'm your host, Eddie, and uh, um, you know, with me on the other side of the table, and, uh, Matt. J- just like the last, I don't know, 70 episodes or so. Something like that, yeah. I've been here a time or two. Yeah. So, we had the opportunity to go check out Rogue One, which opened for us, I think, on Thursday. Or that's that's when we went to see it, and I think that was the opening night, yeah. Thursday evening, 7 p.m., yeah. Yeah. Uh, By the time you guys hear this, who knows which Thursday we'll be talking about. But yeah, it could be any Thursday. Uh, December 15th. By, by this point, it'll be like, where are you? This is the movie about Lando's kid. Why are you still talking about Rogue One? Um, yeah, that's obviously the next place we need to go, actually. Uh, Lando has a son. He gets into shenanigans. Uh, it's a whole movie. I'm sure they can make it happen. Start chilling for Colt 45 malt liquor. Yeah. Yeah. Just like my daddy. Yeah. 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 Um. Oh, God. Okay, God so- damn it, Lando. I, I think the first thing we get to talk about is there was no crawl. Um, so for you, those of you not familiar, why are you listening to this podcast? But for those of you not familiar, when uh, Star Wars movies open, you get the big title credits crawl and not really credits, but you get the big explanation, you know, like episode four, A New Hope. Uh, there's the galaxy is in a time of turmoil and civil war and blah, blah, blah. And it cr- scrolls through the screen. It's very iconically Star Wars. It's been a part of every major Star Wars film uh, up until this point. This movie didn't have it, although it still is based on a galaxy a long time ago, far, far away. Yeah, this is this is not a spoiler either. So anybody who's who's listening, there's like, oh, you said you were gonna keep a spoiler free. No, this is not a spoiler. No, I, out there. I'm sure that lots of people just like threw their phone across the room and they were like, well, fuck this. Now I can't watch it. Yeah, everything's given away. So uh, a couple things. Uh, no crawl. Um, already strange. Also, the uh, opening sequence, like because there's no crawl, there's literally like no opening music other than some, you know ambient score sounds as it kind of flushes in on things so um and we're not going to break down the entire movie second by second um just we saw it thursday i don't remember yeah yeah this is this is this is three days removed now so so the thing about the no crawl that was interesting is although it didn't open with a crawl it did open in a very star wars-esque manner and not spoiler space yeah well it opened in space you had what looked very similar in the whole uh not a ship flying overhead but very similar aesthetic like it it felt very star wars for me right to the get get right from the get-go rather Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so for those of you curious um without spoilers we can kind of go into the plot line a little bit so basically the plot of this movie is that hannibal lecter um does things not because he's bad but he does things to protect he does bad things to protect his family yeah that's that's the entire plot of the movie hannibal lecter not really a bad guy that's that's my takeaway yeah. Um, also, you guys are probably all familiar with him. When he says Hannibal Lecter, he means, of course, Mads Mikkelsen, who played Hannibal Lecter in the TV show adaptation of Hannibal, I believe. I think Is it just called Hannibal? I think so. Whatever. Uh, so Mads Mikkelsen, um, who I've been a big fan of for quite a while. I haven't watched much Hannibal, um, but I've seen him in lots of other stuff, and he's mm-hmm. really, really mm-hmm. good. And he had a, a sizable... You know, a decent sized portion of the movie uh, here, and he really, I think, did a great job throughout the whole film. He's he's kind of the linchpin of the whole movie, really. 
he he is a little bit especially because outside of Hannibal Lecter uh I didn't really know just about anybody in this movie uh actually I did recognize uh Kendrick I don't know I I, I didn't recognize him I don't know who's from yeah I don't know why I recognize him I think I, I played he played something else um that I've seen which you know is as vague as the, the day is long but whatever so I really like it in Star Wars movies when there is a unique new cast. Um, I, I don't like seeing uh, big name actors because it sort of distracts from the film overall, which this did not do. Um, everybody except for Mads Mikkelsen, I wasn't completely unfamiliar with. And as much as I like Mads, uh, he's a, a great actor and it really didn't detract from like the whole like immersion of the story at all. No, um, there is one other person that I think you're forgetting, though, that was definitely in this movie, and that was Jimmy Smith's yes uh he's very recognizable Um, reprising his role as bail organa which i mean honestly here's the thing if you forget episodes one through three happened that's totally fine yeah no i'm on board yeah if if you just try to ignore that whole facet of things it's great actually this movie does a good job of tying together sort of in the same way that uh, episode seven did Tying the the prequel trilogy to the original trilogy um, in a in a way that's not entirely tasteless uh, for those of us who really kind of can't stomach the prequel trilogy. Yeah, the the chick that played Mon Mothma was the same as the chick that played Mon Mothma Mon Mothma in the end of episode three as well. So yeah. there was a callback there as well, but um, there was no mention of mini chlorians. Thank God. I, uh, I really think that they're just going to try to like uh, um, you know like Men in Black flashy thing that out of our brains like just we never talked about it. They, they've bookended the original trilogy now with movies that don't suck. Yeah. So, I, I think I think that's probably the way to go. Yeah. Yeah. I actually um, somebody on Facebook today was talking about it, and then I gave them my preferred viewing order, which was Rogue One, Episode Four, Episode Five, Episode Six, Episode Seven. <laughs> the end. That's that's also my preferred viewing order. Uh, so. you can watch the prequel trilogy don't get me wrong it's just not a thing i'd recommend in no way you're much like you slamming your dick in the door like i i wouldn't probably go out on a limb to recommend that so um i read an article earlier today that uh, got a lot of criticism actually because it was talking about how this is the first star wars movie that really focuses on the war aspect and they were like but the movie's called star wars Thank and you. they posted pictures of the opening crawl and it says war right in the middle but I think you kind of you know, missed the point on that one. Like, uh, I really do think this movie is a better uh, um, uh, way to show the sheer brutality of the war and really what makes the Empire, like, out and out evil. Like, what we really get about the, you know, Empires being bad in, in episodes uh, 4, 5, and 6 especially mainly comes through Vader and his reaction to the other characters on the screen. This is the first movie where it actually feels like a gigantic uh, galactic civil war. Um, and I think think that does a a good strength for the movie this movie is filmed very much like a war movie it is there's a lot of there's a lot of things in here that are much more akin to a war than a a war movie like you know like say a a a civil war not civil war um what's the one with the nazis ww2 yeah ww2 this one feels a lot more like the ww2 uh, a sort of movie set in space than it does a, a uh, straight up, you know, Star Wars uh, space opera sort of thing. Yeah, no, I I enjoyed the war aspect of this movie quite a bit. Um, once we get a little bit further into the movie itself and 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 kind of don't care about spoilers as much, I'll I'll talk about a little bit more of the, yeah. the war aspect and stuff too. But just, I mean, from a spoiler free standpoint, definitely shot like a war movie more than it was shot like a space opera. Yeah. Um, I dug that a lot. Uh, it's, it's it's much grittier. 
Yeah. And I don't mean to say that it's like super dark and super gritty, but it is a much grittier Star Wars than you've seen before. But that being said, my initial take on this movie, too, even after everything was all said and done, I was just like, man, that still felt more like a Star Wars film than any of the prequels. You're completely correct. Like, I I came out of this feeling two ways about it. Number one is, while that is a completely different take on a Star Wars film, uh, but it's still totally a Star Wars film. Like, no, not for a second was I like, oh, man, they totally got that wrong. And this is just a, you know, completely different type of movie just based in this universe. Like, this is actually a really, really nice way, I think, to extend the Star Wars universe, especially from the main screen movies that we've seen so far. Um, And I guess the last thing I want to say really before we get spoiler heavy, unless you got something else to go on. But before we get really spoiler heavy, I'll say this is probably one of my favorite uh, ways that they could have done this. Um, I really, really enjoyed the movie. It, it is a, It is probably a nine for me. Um, it, it's up there. There's a lot of things that it could have gone wrong with this movie. And it, actually, quite honestly, I've told everybody that I've seen so far this that for the first 15 minutes of the movie, I was not sure if I was going to come out liking it because it, it is a really slow burn getting into the film. But once it gets going, like it just does not let up until the end. And the ending is really good, too. So the, the first 20 minutes definitely doesn't move as quickly as the rest of the movie does. Yeah. Um, and, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. But it was a little bit more difficult to get into than I was I was thinking it was going to be for those those first 15, 20 minutes. But then, I mean, it picks right up and then you're all of a sudden immersed in Star Wars and an actual war. Um, things that I liked about it from the war aspect before we get to spoileries is that like it really does uh, highlight what dickholes the Empire are collectively. I mean, it's it's occupying cities, things like that, like people not feeling safe in places where they felt safe historically, things, things of that nature, um, which you don't necessarily get in the prequels at all, because like kind of at the end of episode three, it's just like, well, order 66, people are dead. And then it and then it flashes forward to the main characters and, and follows them, um, you know, hiding babies. And that's it. Yeah, the prequel trilogy, I think, is the worst of it. And when it comes to, like, the actual Star Wars, like, 4, 5, and 6, um, you get a little bit more of a feeling for how bad the Empire is. But the way you mostly get that is through their obvious allegory to, um, you know, just straight-up Nazis. Like, Stormtrooper versus Stormtrooper. Same same sort of thing. Uh, um and, you know, through the actions of the Emperor Invader, primarily. They're, other than that, you know that they're fighting our, you know, plucky heroes. This is the first movie where you actually kind of see, I think, a little bit of what that really feels like and looks like for the vast majority of the galaxy and why you would want to rebel against the Empire. Um, because that I don't think that's readily clear in 4, 5, and 6. Like, what exactly is so horrible about the Empire, except for the fact that Vader and, and, and uh, the Emperor are obviously bad guys. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So that, I think, is the spoiler-free portion of the show. This is your warning right now that if you're listening and you want to maintain or haven't seen the movie yet, you should probably stop right here and come back to this podcast after you've seen the movie. Okay? Hopefully, you, you've pressed the button now because now we're going to launch into it full bore. Ready? Mm-hmm. Okay, let's go. Yeah. Okay, so um, right from the opening crawl, I think we get a little bit of a difference in the no movie crawl. tonal. No, 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 sorry. Right from the non-opening crawl, we get a little bit of difference in the movie tonally from the rest. Um, this movie is a lot slower starter. We do get a little bit of thing that uh, felt sort of reminiscent to the beginning of episode seven to me, mm-hmm. which is like the whole uh, Galen or so, uh, who's our uh, quasi-hero, anti-hero character. Um 
sort of fleeing the empire and uh, how Jin Orso becomes involved in this whole shenanigans and and what that's all about. Um, that yeah, felt a she's l- just a wee lass at the opening of the film. Yeah, that felt a little bit to me like uh, Ray getting dropped off on um, what was it, um, Jakku. Jakku. Uh, and I think those scenes scenes have similar parallels, hopefully by design, because I think that's actually kind of a nice callback to the the um, you know main saga um, altogether. We get lots of new character introductions. So, um, in fact, everybody, everybody in this movie essentially just about is new with the exception of a few small ones. So big spoilers, Tarkin's there, uh, mm-hmm. which we're going to come back to. Vader's there, which we're going to come back to. Uh, no Emperor in this movie. Nope. Um, we get a tiny, tiny cameo from uh, some more familiar droids in R2-D2 and C-3PO. Yeah, which was a cool moment, actually. I really like that. Especially because we got, um, God, what's the cool droid in this movie's name again? K2SO. K2SO. K2SO, played by Alan Tudyk or voiced by Alan Tudyk of Firefly fame, which is how I'm always going to refer to him. I don't care if he's like the president. I'm going to be I'm going to be saying Alan Tudyk of Firefly flame. Um, So K2SO, um, who serves not only as comedic relief, but actually one of the the, I think sort of linchpin players in this movie. Um, It's safe to say things would not have gone down without K2SO. And I thought he was used very, very well. Um, So K2SO is, of course, an Imperial droid who's been reprogrammed by the Rebellion, um, who's only sort of calling themselves the Rebellion. They're, they're, you know, the Alliance, I think, but I'm not sure they refer to themselves as the, the Rebel Alliance, do they? There is a rebellion, yeah, but there's a separate faction that's more militant, and yeah, and I don't remember what they were called necessarily. Yeah. They kind of just referred to everything as the rebellion about an hour into the movie. Yeah, that was led by um that guy whose name I can't remember. Um, Forrest Whitaker. Forrest Whitaker. Yeah, Forrest Whitaker. Uh, Forrest Whitaker's uh, faction sort of is the way that um, Jin Orso, who who becomes fairly obviously early in the movie, quite a badass. That's how she got trained. Um, so Galen gets her off the planet, and um, uh, Forrest Whitaker's character goes and picks her up and trains her how to be a um, rebellious asshole. Uh, and then she eventually gets ditched on a planet. And we still talking um, about cameos. Are we? Yeah, sure. Cameos. What else we got? That's what we were talking about more than anything was cameos. So the one that I wanted to mention specifically that I needed my phone for (laughs) because I didn't remember. (laughs) Um, Dr. Evazan and Ponda Baba. Okay. Definitely not what I was going to say. No? No. Um, So I watched the cartoon TV show on Disney XD called Star Wars Rebels. Oh, of course you do. And I've never watched it. So No, and it's fine. It is is a kid show. But one of the interesting things about that to me is that... um, it's one of the only things that's canon right now, uh, aside from the movies proper. And yeah. uh, so one of the interesting small cameos in there, that like a blink it, blink if you missed it and you miss it sort of thing, is Chopper, which is the name of the droid on the, the cartoon show, um, is in uh, Rogue One. So, yeah, there's lots of little cameos. There's, In fact, that's one of the fun things about this movie is that there's lots of little nods to the fans like and, and sort of things like that, not just cameos, but, you know, like when they said... Uh, there's two stormtroopers talking and they say something like, uh, did you hear the T-15 is getting phased out? It's about time, you know? Yeah. Uh, of course, we're talking, you know, or we're nodding towards the T-16 line from Luke in, in episode four. Yeah. Um, yeah. And anybody who's not familiar enough to know who Dr. Evazan is and, and Ponda Baba is, those are the two that approach Luke in the most Lusty Cantina and, and basically tell them that they're oh, wanted men. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I was struggling with the names because I, I don't remember the names of those characters. But, yeah, that was really, really funny, actually. Yeah. When, when uh, 
they they walk up and, and you should uh, be careful. Cassie, Cassie, yeah. Cassie. What is his name? Cassian. I think it's Cassian. Cassian it's like, yeah. No, never mind. Are you talking about Diego? Keep walking. Yeah. 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 Diego um, Luna. So there's lots of little fun nods to the fans in the movie that I that I really enjoyed. I think as somebody who's watched a lot of them, that was one that certain certain portions of the audience you could tell how big a Star Wars nerds there they were in the audience because that got a pop from a lot of the audience, but not everybody. No, like um, not nearly. Like I was like really like ooh yeah ooh yeah, and half the other um, half the rest of the audience was kind of like what's that guy on about? You know? Eddie has a hard time going to the movies with me too because I remain relatively stoic through a good portion. <laughs> of the movie so i don't like to tip my hand yeah yeah there were a couple of moments though where we like looked over at each other yeah we were like yep all right just happened yeah um so you know going into this movie i think we have a little bit of an idea of what's what it's going to be so the basic story like before we walked into the theater we we sort of knew this is about how the rebel alliance gets the death star plans And uh, this movie is actually all based off of like a throwaway line from episode four, I think, which is, you know, the one where um, I think it was Akbar who says something along the lines of like, you know, lots of Mothans had to die to get the, nope. those plans. No. Nope. Who? It was Mon Mothma who said that. And it yeah. was actually about the plans to the second Death Star. Oh, okay. There was one Bothan in the movie, but. Yeah, you're right. This was, this was. Uh, so what's the, what's, what's the line from episode four? There wasn't. There wasn't. No. Was that all just based off of the? No, because at the end, at the at the beginning of episode four, like they they have the plans and they're escaping with them. Yeah, and that's kind of the <clears> whole <throat> thing. They never really address how they got the plans in the first place at all. Um, which is where Rogue One comes in and and does a really neat mm. job of of tying that up with a bow. Yeah. The the um. Fuck! I had something. I had something. I promise. Yeah. Oh, so. There's there's some other characters in this movie too. One of which we won't talk about till the end of it because it's kind of like the big reveal and whatnot. Um, there's another character though that you're very familiar with if you're if you're familiar with Episode Four uh, in general, and that is Grand Moff Tarkin makes his triumphant return to the big screen. Here's the thing, man. There ain't nobody in Hollywood right now looks like Peter Cushing. No. <laughs> just just there's not the other difficulty with this particular thing is the timeline like rogue yeah. one is almost an immediate prequel to episode four like episode four takes place if not directly continuation like with no more than a week in between dude i i'm i think it's ours yeah i think i honestly pro- think I, it's ours I, I do think you're right i think the way that the movie ends it's pretty clear that it, like leia flies off in the ship and that's immediately where episode four picks up yep so um because of that, they weren't able to find an actor to actually be him. And so what you get is a very, very, very well done, mind you, but still very much uh, CGI Tarkin face. Yeah. I'm not sure if the actor, if there was, an, if there was a, a person there and they just put the face on top of whoever was standing there. I'm sure there had to be some kind of dude uh, like in a, a green, green suit with balls walking around. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, th- this was, uh, we were talking about this before the show, and, and this was very, very Uncanny Valley for me. Like, it was so, so very close to being seamless and not noticeable to me, um, but still was very, very much so just yeah. because of that. Uh, so, you know, Google Uncanny Valley, you'll you'll understand what I mean, I think, when I say that. But uh, that, that it felt, you know, like that to me. So when he was on screen, it was kind of like, 
I, I liked like I was paying attention to how they were shooting that character. Um, and, you know, it's all CG. So, you know, more I meant like a lot of the times they'd show him walking away sort of things or they'd show, you know, side shots of his face before it turns and, and another character, you know, then takes frame. Um, and I think that's the way that they probably should have gone for the most part of it. Like he should have almost been like the man behind the curtain in that they don't really show him, but for a few brief glances, because when it's like full on him in the face, it does, it, it does slide into the uncanny valley territory and I do get distracted by it. So, yeah, yeah, that's actually the first thing that hit me as soon as I saw his face is like, that's, that's not a real dude. Nope. Um, I felt the same way. Uh, we get another, you know, this isn't really a spoiler, but Leia as in um 1970 that kind of is a spoiler because i don't think that was that was not known going into the movie at least not by me i mean i think i already spoiled it is what i meant Um, oh yeah you probably did you're a dick that way yeah well i did warn everybody we're gonna spoil (laughs) the whole movie so i guess what order the spoilers come in shouldn't be like the deal breaker at this point but anyway leia leia appearing at the end of the film had the same way uh same sort of uncanny valley thing going on there um they showed young leia as in episode four leia um, at the end of Rogue One, you know, sort of picking up the plans, and uh, that was the the same thing. Actually, that one was to me a little bit worse. It was, but in in because her face was really glowy. It was, and her face. I, I mean, it almost looks like they spent all of their their fake CGI, fake person CGI budget on on Tarkin. Because by the time they got to Leia, I thought hers looked a little bit more uh, or less realistic. I should say. Here's here's what I. This is the thing. We live in a world where we watched. Uh, Civil War, yeah, and we watched Robert Downey Jr. walk onto the screen, uh, as he looking exactly like he did in Less Than Zero from like nineteen eighty fucking whatever, whatever. And I almost feel like the Avengers or the Captain America folks maybe did a slightly better job in the CGI in that aspect because that really just looked like him when he was that age. And obviously, we know he's not that age, so it had to be not real. See, they did, but they didn't. Because on the one crazy. hand, on the one hand, they I think that it was a little bit better in Civil War. On the other hand, I never for a second was like, "Oh, that's you know, like I can't tell." No, you 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 knew, I but mean, I mean, like, did you way, know you because know, you, you knew the math? But no, I I definitely like I could I could uh, same sort of feeling like I knew that was not not him, um, just because the uh, you know it, it's quite obviously CG. Like you you can see the CG. Um, although I do think that that was a, a little bit better done than in rogue one yeah that was that was kind of my question on that too is just because i mean it was super convincing in in civil war even though like you said like you know that it's he's not that age anymore and that it, yeah you know there's they, they didn't just you know like clone him or something like there's that trickery afoot yeah you, you know there's trickery afoot but even even you know not knowing that you can still tell it's cg yeah. and so um I don't know. I kind of, it's not like it was as bad as it was in like Tron legacy. Um, never watched it. Well, if you did watch it, you would see a, uh, the same thing done with Jeff Bridges, except for way, way worse. Um, that was just bad. Uh, the movie I liked though, but I was never a huge fan of Tron in the first place. So I just didn't care. You know, that's fair. I I did enjoy Tron legacy, but that, that same sort of effect was used to try to de-age Jeff Bridges and uh that was really really bad really quite obviously cg like looked more like it was like it was out of the final fantasy movie than it did out of um you know like real life right um so So, cassian i think is the next thing we should probably touch on a little bit well i think i interrupted you in the middle of talking about k2so 
Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. And I think I think that's a, a, a relatively important character to explore. Although him and Cassian are kind of they're the bros. Yeah, they're the bros. They're, they're browning yeah. it up. Yeah. So. Uh, so K2SO, um, K2SO, of course, played by Alan Tudyk, who I've mentioned already a hundred times. Um, really well done. Uh, I really liked this character overall. Um, this added just the little bit of levity that existed in this film. Most of the other bits of levity came from, um, just sort of the, the cameos and the nods to the fans and stuff like that. It was more not like a joke sort of thing at so much as it was like, oh, nostalgia boner. Uh, this was probably the, the bits of intentional, like, you know, make jokes sort of thing. There was that. There was also a little bit of dialogue between, uh, the protectors of the, uh, uh, Oh, the monks. Yeah. The monks. Those, those 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 guys were good too. They were, they were maybe a little bit beyond bro. Maybe. But, uh, like some funky, funky monk stuff going on. Yeah. K K two though. He was definitely, uh, almost not even comedic though like he was kind of like brutally honest which was honest to a point of being funny in a couple situations in a couple yes i mean obviously it was comedically timed and deliberately written that way but the the shtick i think a little bit here was kind of brilliant because it's written and they explain kind of up front like uh k2so is reprogrammed and one of the side effects is that he basically says whatever comes to his mind yeah Um, he was and he was an imperial droid originally so so when he says something that, you know, just sort of pops into his mind, oftentimes that that's pretty funny to the audience. Um, but over the, other than that, though, I thought another big interesting thing about this was that K2SO had legitimate heart. Like, like I know how much uh, uh, the Cowardly Lion wanted one, but uh, K2SO really had it going. Yeah, Tin yeah. Man? Yeah. Yeah, Cowardly Lion wanted courage. Tin Man wants a heart. Tin Man wanted, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, or some I, oil or something. Yeah. Lube, extra lube. Might have been. You know you can get a 55-gallon drum of that on Amazon. I think it's fair. Yeah. I mean, why wouldn't you? I, I have it on the... Is it sub- eligible for prime shipping, though? That's kind well, of my thing. Yeah. Because if I, I were a 55-gallon drum of lube, I want it in two days. <laughs> I, ha- I have it on the subscribe and save thing. They send me one every three months. You got the it's button? Great. Yeah. You just push the little button <laughs> yeah. when you're about out. Sweetie, we're out of lube. You can hear it, like, banging around, because it's just an oil drum. Clang, boom, clang. Boom. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so K2SO, like... yeah, perfect. Yeah. Um, K2SO is an interesting character. I be a Foley artist. He might as well. <laughs> we should do that. Except for just like actual Foley artists would be like lo- looking at us like we're children banging on a-, a coffee can. Because that's what we'd be doing. <laughs> Pretty much. Wait, what's a coffee can? Yeah. Uh, they still sell those, I think. Uh, yeah. Cheap uh, coffee, I think, yeah. comes in a can still. Yeah. Folgers upgraded those neat little plastic buckets. That's true. That's yeah. true. So, uh, the interesting thing about K2 for me is that uh, this character has... I mean, he's almost the one that I empathize with the most in the movie. Not quite, but just about. Like, as, as uh, much as the other characters are really well done, I, I was uh, very impressed with how much heart they managed to give, uh, you know, a droid. This is another thing that I think is sort of interesting about the Star Wars universe. The droids are very clearly robots. Like, they're treated like robots to the rest of the characters but are by the rest of the characters sort of sort of but but not like it's it's almost more like the relationship like luke's relationship with r2 is a little bit closer to like uh my relationship with my dog you know k2 and cassian kind of have a similar relationship that uh to that of like han solo and chewbacca yeah very much so and actually that's 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 incredibly apt yeah um speaking of cassian too it's we should we should kind of 
um we're, we'll, we'll get back to k2 a little bit too and and because their their fates are relatively intertangled like through the whole movie yeah. and whatnot but uh cassian actually we meet before we meet k2 and we meet him um meeting up with a uh rebel sympathizer uh to obtain information and we actually see something out of a rebel um a, a, a rebel period that we've not seen in previous movies and what i mean by that is any of the previous movies, obviously, the Rebels are very much painted as the good guys versus the Empire, which are bad oh, guys. It's, it's, it's very black and white. Yeah, entirely black and white. Um, this there movie, is a capital G good, capital B bad. Yeah, this movie adds several shades of gray to a lot of things because, as we know, when it comes to wartime, sometimes the good guys have to do bad shit to gain the upper hand um, and gain the advantage. And in this particular case, the uh, Rebel sympathizer is basically freaking out because the stormtroopers are kind of they've been tipped off that something's afoot he's freaking out doesn't think they can escape and i'm i'm sitting there watching this whole scene going this guy is gonna talk yeah and uh turns out he doesn't get an uh, opportunity to because cassian just fucking shoots him in the back puts him down so he can escape which i mean ultimately at the end of the day probably the right decision but definitely not something that we've seen happen from any any of the rebels in the past it was brutal and uh, i kind of like that about this movie this is another thing that makes it uh, sort of a different movie in for the star wars universe this is probably the first uh time that you get the feeling that the good guy is not entirely the you know just the good guy like uh this was a a brutally difficult uh um sort of decision to make in that situation very much an end justifies the means type situation yeah uh, precisely, and I, I think it was a great character introduction to Cassian, actually, and that sets up a lot of the uh, sort of um, conflict between him and Jin, Jin for the rest of the film. Um, so I, I really, really actually liked that part of it. You know, here's here's what I liked about it too, because we we're we're talking about the um, the the monks. We we mentioned them earlier, and and one of them said something to him about, uh, or he said something about a prison and. And Cassian said that he hadn't been to prison. Yeah. And the monk said something very Star Warsy, which is, I get the feeling that you carry yours with you. Yeah. And you can say that in a Star Wars movie and have it be a very Star Warsy line of dialogue. But this is the first time I've actually seen it said to a character where having known this person's backstory or at least, you know, a day and a half of his backstory, so to speak. (laughs) Like, you're like, you know, that's probably not wrong because you've seen him do shit that he's obviously not proud of. Yeah. And you also know that he's on a mission to do something that he's not proud of having to do, but is still willing to do it because that is yeah, what his mission is. So um, I guess that'll lead us to our next character, our next big, big character in the movie, which is Galen Orso. Galen Orso is uh, one of the primary architects of the Death Star. Um, he's a brilliant scientist engineer, and he has a, a family. He has a, a wife whose name I can't remember and a daughter who is our heroine for the movie, which is Jin Orso. And since we know this is a Star Wars movie, you know that can't just work out. Uh, they have to have some sort of inner turmoil. And the turmoil is essentially that Galen doesn't want to build the goddamn Death Star or, you know, anything like that. He wants to raise his family and blah, blah, blah. Uh, so he hides until director Kendrick, who is our bad guy for this movie or one of our primary bad guys for this movie decides to go and find him and, you know, basically delivers the ultimatum of like, you know, come work for me or I'll kill your daughter uh, sort of thing. And the daughter gets away and everything like that, but it gives us this sort of weird, um, uh, uh, I guess 
not dichotomy, but kind of like that with with our our one of our hero characters. So Galen, you know, of course, being a quote unquote good guy who is going to go on to do a bad thing. I mean, obviously, we've all seen Star Wars, so we know that the Death Star gets built and it becomes pretty clear early on that Galen is a big part of that. Um, but that also sets up one of the the big MacGuffins for the movie, which is that uh, Galen is the one who sort of builds in the 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 failsafe, the you know shoot shoot a you know ion torpedo into this you know tiny port and hits the reactor and the whole thing blows up, sort yeah. of thing. It's like the largest Trojan horse in the history of Trojan horses. Yeah. Um, so Galen, I think, is an interesting character, and of course, that's the guy that Mads Mikkelsen plays um, because he is forced to do, all, you know, basically this awful thing, and he does it really, really well for the most part. Obviously, we get some demonstrations with the Death Star in the movie, and we've seen the, you know, uh, you know, it, we did see the it. It felt like a million voices suddenly cried out and were silenced. Scene from Episode Four, and so we know how the Death Star turns out. But I thought it was kind of brilliant the way they portrayed that with. Um, him also setting up the the means for which the rebels can um, can defeat the Death Star because uh, very obviously he didn't have to do that. Like the the Death Star could actually be a a nion impenetrable weapon. So yeah, they they actually um, also explain the kind of source of the Death Star's power too in a not so direct fashion, but like it's very much alluded to throughout the movie that the focusing lenses for the death star are in fact kyber crystals which if you're oh not only that i think that's just straight up yeah they, they call with, out with with if you're familiar with star wars lore at all you know that the kyber crystals are actually what the jedi put in their lightsabers as focusing crystals for the for their swords and whatnot so and which i um, liked because that was not a main canon thing no. until this movie so they finally you know that's another interesting thing about the times we live in there's lots of stuff in the expanded universe and so all of you nerds that lived outside of just the movies knew about kyber crystals and all that stuff but this is the first time it's actually been acknowledged and is part of the main canon now yeah when disney came out and said that a lot of the expanded universe wasn't going to be canon you know especially the stuff following jedi and whatnot um a lot of people were really upset. And then when episode seven came out, they kind of gave a couple of homages to some of those things. Um, and then this is kind of an even more direct way of saying, you know, just because it's not canon the way that you knew it doesn't mean that we can't use it and and reintroduce it in a way that still makes sense to the, the story that we're trying to tell. So, yeah, I, I appreciate like that. that so far. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Um. And the Kyber Crystals bring us to the next set of characters that we want to talk about, too, which are the the two monks. The monks are awesome. Um, so we get basically Lion Cat Monk, who is also a ninja. Uh, who's, he's badass, too. Yeah, he's super badass. Absolutely blind. He's, yeah, completely blind. He's a monk, actually, that was in charge of guiding, guarding the um, holy, you know, Kyber Crystal church thingy. The temple. The temple, Yeah. And uh, obviously, now that the Empire has destroyed that, he doesn't really have a job. Um, but as it turns out, he's a total badass. Um, so he has like a sort of a daredevil sense of like uh, superhero superheroism. Um, you get the sense that he might be attuned to the Force. I think he definitely was. Like <laughs> he's not a straight up Force user in the way that like a Jedi is, but he definitely ha- does have some attunement to the Force, and that's something that's not, or you know, sort of new new to the main canon, but also not new uh, to Star Wars in general. Which is this idea that you have people who ha- have various levels of Force sensitivity and various levels of ability with the Force. I'm not kidding you. His little staff thingy, 
like the little handle of it, I thought for sure it was going to be a lightsaber at some point, the way that they were flashing it around toward the end of the movie. I kind of did half expect that he was going to be like a hidden Jedi, but I, I'm glad they didn't actually go that route because um, I think it made a little bit more sense to do this way. Like th- that's another thing about this movie um, in the way that uh, the original trilogy is very much a hero's journey and you very much get this sense of like, um, you know, poor farm boy grows up, has to go on and do something magical, and he's got all these special abilities. This is not that movie at all. Like, all of our heroes in this movie, all of our good guys, bad guys, whatever, are basically just normal people. Um, with the one exception of the Vader cameo, which we'll talk about later. But um, everybody else in this movie is just basically normal people. And so that's another thing that adds to this whole, like, realistic war element of things, which is that it's not being fought by, you know... Uh, magical you know sword light sword wizards it's it's just you know normal people fighting a normal war except for in space yeah so that guy's name is in the film is is chirrut imwe that's that's the the monk the the blind monk yeah he's cool and then we have um baz malbus yeah baz is also cool baz is like the tankest of all tanks like he just i straight up want to play him in in a video Baz looks nothing like his (laughs) real life counterpart (laughs) no not at all but uh boz you know this i hope they do a really good video game adaptation of this and i think they kind of already have with battlefront um but a lot of this really feels like uh something that would make an amazing battlefront uh level or even game um and so boz is very much that like he's the tank he's got the the cool um blaster uh sort of that uses this enormous yeah thing of rounds which i don't know when you're using lasers how rounds are involved unless it's some kind of like laser rail system i think they talk about this a little bit and it's sort of like a plasma system or something like that something it's big and it blows shit up yeah but it's super rad um so both of these characters are sort of new additions and they're very cool um the 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 one of them the first guy we talked about chirrut is that what it was Mm -hmm. Chirrut is sort of like the quintessential monk character and that he's he's basically our wise old sage for the movie. Um, so he, he does have a staff that does shoot lasers. That that is occasionally. true. That is true. But like for the most part, like he's he's your hand to hand fighter. Yeah. And he's also the guy that sort of delivers moments of wisdom throughout the film. Mm-hmm. Like you mentioned that already once. Uh, Boz is sort of like his best friend and almost like sort of protector, you know, because obviously this blind guy who uh can't help himself he needs boz uh which is another fun sort of aspect these these two characters on their own are basically basically really interesting even for getting their sort of relationship together so that that was fun too yeah and then i don't think we've really talked much about our heroine which is uh jen orso yeah and she's uh felicity jones felicity jones that's right she's super good in this movie like really good in this movie yeah um, honestly. i look forward to her in rogue too yeah maybe not no no probably not um i was a little bit leery when they first cast her and everything because i didn't really know much of what she'd been in and stuff but like she she gets the character of of uh jen or so um to a t she's she's fantastic actually as as that character um her main mission is not the same as as uh, Cassian's mission. Uh, we should probably talk about the mission a little bit too, because so Cassian is essentially dispatched with Jen um, to track down a a different faction of the rebellion. We talked about that. We to track down their leader in order to try and find out where um 
is it Gareth? Gareth? What's uh Galen? Galen, yeah. Sorry, no problem. To try and track down Galen. Um, what's weird is that kind of by coincidence, Galen is also trying to reach out to the same dude. So, um, with Saul Guerrero. Saul Guerrero. Yep. So with within within a day of each other, like uh, Galen's message reaches Saul Guerrero, and so does Jen and Cassian. What nobody else knows except for Cassian, though, is that he is essentially dispatched to kill Galen. Like, there's no... Yeah. Because he is designing the super weapon. Nobody realizes the super weapon is done, though. That's the thing, is killing him serves zero purpose at this point, because the, the, the Death Star is, is built. Yep. So, um, that's, that that leads us to kind of our, our, our hero's moment in the movie, which is when they actually do find him and Cassian kind of has every opportunity to take him out with a long range rifle. Um, and then doesn't meanwhile, Jen is also on her own mission to go rescue her father. <laughs> yeah. I thought this actually set up a good, um, you know, sort of bit of tension between our two main characters too. And this sort of added to the human element of things too. Um, it felt organic. It didn't feel. Yeah. They, they, they definitely could have made it. There are lots of ways they could have done it much more contrived, but I like the way that they handled that. Um, and it sort of gave some depth to Cassian as well, because Cassian, you know, like we saw, we, we just saw him off a motherfucker in like the first five minutes of the movie. Uh, yeah. So I liked the way that they handled that and they could have gone much more dark or gone to a different place with it, um, which would have made for a very different movie. But that sort of sets us up for our next act, which I think w- was kind of a cool way to do it. So, yeah. Yeah, no, I and I did, and I appreciated the dialogue with them too after they get back on the ship too, because they're kind of just like, um, Jen, or so it's kind of like, so we're we gonna talk about this. And he's like, what are you talking about? And she's like, no, you're totally gonna kill my dad. And he's like, no, nah, you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, and, and then and she's like, no, I have a lion cat monk over here, and he said you were totally off on the mood to kill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that's like the second time he's made a saga reference for those of you who may not have ever listened to our show before when I, but when i was watching that i was like well they made lion cat yeah. yeah they made lion cat except for he's uh you know vaguely he's, asian and he has like, a wicked cool staff and he's blind oh he's the ancient one weird yeah a little bit oh oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> um i guess there goes that argument i guess they can do an asian version <laughs> of the ancient one and have it come off not as condescending but sorry sorry mrs swinton yeah miss swinton i don't know whatever it doesn't matter um uh, yeah <laughs> we'll just derail the whole podcast on that joke there <laughs> let's just yeah fuck it we're done <laughs> yep that's it movie's over yeah. um so the next bit of it actually is uh sort of this they're trying to get galen out but that doesn't happen instead no. kendrick is a dick and he blows the shit up and and uh no actually that's not even correct uh kendrick uh meets them all in this uh imperial facility kendrick doesn't blow them up no, they they get a hit called the, on them by the the, the rebels, rebels do. do. Yeah. yeah, so the rebels have this big X-wing, you know, uh, sort of attack, and they they shoot at the thing. And and meanwhile, Cassian's like, "Don't hit the thing." There's there's rebel, uh, you know, forces on board, and the rebels were like, "Nah, too late." There, we've already, already got our orders. Yeah. We're gonna go ahead and fire everything. Yeah, they they left it a little bit more like of a sense of like we can't recall them at this point. Like there there is no stopping it. Um, so the rebels actually, even though of, nobody had pulled a trigger yet. Yeah, yeah. You know. And they definitely don't have like a radio or something akin to that. Right. You know, right. There's no possible way they can get communication out anywhere. Yeah. Could, could you send a text to Red Five really quick? Because he's about to kill my buddy. Anyway. Um, Ooh, that's a good. That's a, let's let's hold on to the thought. The Red Five thought though, because there's yeah. definitely something. To this that. is Gold Leader. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
So Galen goes down. Jin Jin gets to have her like, "Daddy, I love you" sort of moment, and uh, he's like, like, "There's so much I have to tell you." Ah, ah, <laughs> ah. Yeah. He just kind of Charlton Heston his way out of there. <laughs> but I'm dying. Yeah, no, he he was done. So um, they get back on the ship, and that's when you know Cassian and Jin have their sort of like, "We're not going to talk about how you're going to kill my dad," sort of thing. And uh, that's when Cassian's like. Listen, you prissy bitch, we uh, don't all get to pick and choose, you know, when we decide to do something with our conscience, unlike you, who has basically done that exact thing. And that's actually she's kind of been living on the run. She has, and she hasn't really been living with any particular set of morals or, or overlighting. Like, she's not, like, hardcore, like, rebel alliance. we got to take down the Empire. In spite of her upbringing, she's more like, yeah, I don't care about this shit. Like, I'm just trying well, to stay alive. And You find out, though, that that's because she really did care about taking down the Empire, but Saul Guerrero abandoned her. Um, when she was younger but it it was the way he describes it when they meet is that people were starting to get curious about her origins and and some of them were finding out that she was the daughter of of galen arso and so it was better for her to be not that person and left behind than to have to face those questions and and possibly be discovered and whatnot so yeah um so there's a bit of tension on the ship and then they go back and this is actually i think we're kind of approaching the third act of the movie which is really kind of where the movie just is balls to the wall like i couldn't believe the screen sort of thing uh it it handled we we did we went back to yavin 4 yep which that that was kind of a cool callback we actually saw it twice throughout Uh the course of the movie i think twice maybe maybe a few more times but um the Rebel Alliance is, is they call it a Rebel Alliance because it really is made up of a lot of, of big figureheads from other races, planets, factions, etc. Factions, yeah, so to speak. And, like, even though they had all this evidence, like, they really were just like, man, we can't agree that this is the right thing to do, which is where the Rogue team was born, essentially, because they're just like... This is actually, I think, one of my favorite parts of the movie because, yeah. again, when you go back to the original trilogy, we have again, much more black and white. It's very much like the Empire is the bad guys, the Rebels are the good guys, the Rebels have no second of hesitation, we've got to stop the bad guys. And when you get to Rogue One and you know some scenes in here in particular, the Rebels are not characterized that way at all. They're infighting. They're, they're basically just scared. It's, it's still a bureaucracy no matter it, what side of, of the galaxy you're for or against see like i got that a little bit like it's a bureaucracy but it's not really united in one particular facet either it is not a clear like oh the the empire is bad and we got to stop them because that's the morally correct thing to do it was very much like well uh they've got a big weapon and we can't fight that so we're done you know just roll over uh or you know like we know we're afraid of doing that or you know can we really be sure blah 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 there was a lot more infighting in the end result of this infighting is essentially them saying uh no we're not doing anything with this um yeah. Jin, Jin gives a pretty impassioned speech and everybody's like well that's great girl but uh see you later and uh so that leads us to our next bit which is Jin basically like uh well i'm gonna go do it anyway who else wants to come and it turns out that's where we get our our rogue one team which is uh her our main character so far and like 10 other dudes or something like that cassian the yeah. pilot which we haven't really talked about at all yeah but he's He's a little bit of a MacGuffin. Like the the, the that's that's how Sagara hears about um there being a a you know hole a Death Star plan. Yeah, we have an Imperial pilot who defects and and 
yeah. takes the message to Saw The only problem with that is, is you never, when you're, especially in Saw position, like you're like, oh, this guy says he's a defector, but maybe he's just a mole and whatnot. Yeah. So that you have that whole thing going on. Um, he was kind of brain fucked toward the beginning yeah. of the movie too. So he wasn't quite all there. See, that's another shade of gray too. Cause Saw presumably our good guy. Like he, when he opens up the movie, he's like the rescuer for Jin. Um, but the next scene they're like, well, see, here's the thing. I can't really be sure if you're telling the truth. So I'm going to let this, uh, you know, gigantic brain octopus thing suck your brain out and tell me whether or not you're telling the truth. Oh, bad news. It's totally going to fuck you up. Um, yeah. And he's like totally fine with that. Like that. That's just that's the call. That's what we're going with. And so that's sort of interesting, too, because now we have another presumably, quote unquote, good guy uh, who now becomes a very big shade of gray, you know, just that quickly. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, the pilot, the pilot is interesting in that regard, too, um, because he he was an imperial pilot and he's a defector. So this is another case where he's he's actually probably of all of them, just about one of the most uh, sort of morally, you know, true to himself, sort of, you know, like, well, I got into the situation, but I can't really do this anymore. Like these guys just aren't aren't good. So, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I actually didn't mind his character so much, even though he was a little bit like you said, he was kind of a MacGuffin, um, but not. Not in a bad way, necessarily. I think you kind of need that no. sometimes. I mean, they, they needed some sort of MacGuffin to progress this along, but I think that was a good way to do it because it also gave us an, a chance at an interesting character and, and an interesting characterization. So. Yeah, yeah. No. Um, so he's kind of hanging out there, and then that's when Cassian is like, oh, you've got us too. And then like the droid's like, no, oh, fuck this. This is dumb. But yeah. I guess whatever. Yeah. <laughs> the, the droid had a snarky comment, which I can't really remember, but no. it was totally funny at the time. We'll see this movie at least two more times in the theater before we, you know, before it's out on on home video. It's pretty likely, yeah. Um, In fact, I have to take all my kids pretty soon, so. Yeah. So, they'll head off to um, the one place they presume they can find the Death Star plans, which is this planet called Puerto Vallarta, Mexico. Puerto Vallarta with uh, droids, essentially. It's a very um, blue-looking, idyllic planet. Tropical. Tropical. tropical trees. They're sand troopers. It does look like, you know, when the troopers get a break, they, they sit down on a nice comfy beach chair, ha- have a nice fruity drink with a little umbrella in it. Yeah, I'm thinking Mai Tais. Mai Tais. Yeah, Mai Tais would fit. Mojito, maybe. Um, Don't like the mint leaves so much, but I, I dig a Mai Tai every once in a while. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, so they head off to Scarif, though, uh, to because that is the home of, you know, basically Where the... Where the Imperial Archives are. Yeah, the Imperial Archives. Not on Coruscant at all. No. I guess for they were whatever like, reason. yeah, for reasons we we aren't sure of. Maybe that's because they wanted to get away from the home of the old Republic, the Senate, you know, etc. Um, but anyway, Scarif is sort of their their housing point for all of the um, the Imperial Archive. That uh, this is where it sort of gets into the grittiest part. Um, this is where sort of everything goes wrong for just about everybody for the most part. It's you, okay. We're, I'm not going to pull any punches here. You are about 10 minutes into the scene when you're stricken with the thing, with the thought that, you know what? Not one of these characters is going to live through this. Yeah. So going into this movie, that was my initial thought. Like, you know, it's going to be, it's, it's going to be great watching this movie, but it's going to be sad too, because there's almost no way anybody in this movie can really come out alive. And 
the sad this is the sad realization up until this part everything's kind of going well enough for our heroes that you're thinking you know maybe i'm wrong maybe they do some like obi-wan kenobi bullshit where he goes and lives in a desert for the next you know 20 years or something like that and then Jin's going to be in episode eight or whatever no this is this is a <laughs> th- this this is just a downhill uh, uh well uphill slog through the rest of the movie as yeah. far as our characters are concerned yeah um we get some you know really guerrilla aspects between the fighting with the um imperial troops and our our rebel alliance we get some other nice little nods and, and things like that to the original trilogy like we get to see the rebel alliance fleet in action which was actually pretty cool i thought yeah so here's the thing in typical typical uh bureaucracy fashion or bureaucratic fashion i should say the the alliance gets wind that that uh, the rogue mission to obtain the plans might actually succeed. And so then all of a sudden everybody's on board. They're like, okay, well we got to get there and, and, and support our troops. And so you have, uh, um, I, who I can only assume is Admiral Akbar's predecessor. Yeah. Radis. Uh, Radis. Yeah. Leads his, his entire military force over there, including some X-wing squadrons and whatnot. Um, the thing about Scarif is it's entirely in, encapsulated in a in a shield bubble, and there's mm-hmm. like one small opening to get through, and and they close that fairly early on. So the rebels that were already on the other other side, on you know they were planet side, they're like, well that shield's closed, so we're not going to be able to get off this planet, but we got to beam the, the the plans out there. Yeah, I think I don't want to go play by play. Really, the rest of the movie kind of tells itself, and we don't really need to go play by play through that. No. But I do want to talk about a couple of specific moments. Number one is there's these there's there's scenes with K2SO where um, he's sort of doing the droid thing, you know, letting them into the archives and finding the right tape for them to steal so they get the Death Star plans and whatever. Because for some reason they still use DAT tapes. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, but there's this scene where he starts off and he he's he's having a lot of fun you know be, being all cool and he's shooting down guys and, and it's really badass yeah locking and, doors yeah locking doors no big deal and again this is like very star wars-esque and you're like oh our you know plucky heroes are gonna you know win the day and then there's this scene where it's like more stormtroopers and more stormtroopers and it becomes very clear to me like i remember this like instant where my heart dropped and i'm like k2 can't possibly make this out alive nope nope uh and he doesn't and there's there's just more and more bits like that. I think that was the beginning where I was like, I, I really don't think anybody's gonna make it out. Like of this if movie. the lovable droid can't make it, nobody's making it. Yeah, basically, I think that was where it really sort of the downfall comes for me. And I was like, I, I I'm not sure anybody's getting out. Of this movie. Especially the scene where Jen gives him the blaster. Yeah. And she's like, well, you might need this more than me. And like he's like, uh. I, I can't remember exactly the line of dialogue, but he's like, man, I... You continually surprise yeah, me, Jen. Yeah. Jen Orso. Yeah. And, yeah. It's 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 a touching moment. I, I, I dug that part. And especially her, because, like, she didn't have any love for that droid, because he was brutally honest about... He well, was an asshole. Taking you with us is a bad idea. He, like, he was like a lovable autist in, in, in a, you know, robot body. Yeah. 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 Um, so that I think is really kind of the, the penultimate part of this movie for me is that um, I went into this with the expectation that nobody lives. And through the, you know, middle, probably the first two thirds of the movie, I was like, maybe I was wrong. Maybe they're going to change this. And I, that was actually going to surprise me a little bit. It, it pulls you into the point where you're, you're really on that side of like, well, they got to live. Yeah. It's Star Wars. Nobody dies yeah. in Star Wars except for Obi-Wan Kenobi. Um, it's better than Titanic that way. And even then that barely because he gets to be a force ghost. It doesn't even count. Because, I mean, 
Titanic was that that movie that came out that everybody fucking loved and everything like that. But you're like, you know how it's going to end. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, the boat's going to sink at some point. <laughs> the boat the boat has to sink. That is the whole thing. Yeah. And it's not going to be like Inglorious Bastards where we get alternate, you know, Nazi-free universe or something. Yeah. And, and in this case, you're, you're kind of... You start out the movie where you're like, well, you know how this ends. They get yeah. the plans, blah, blah, blah. But then, like, like man, maybe maybe they get the plans and maybe maybe some of them go on to have a continued career, yep. you know, with the with the Alliance. Because Rose Squadron, you know, it's, it's Rose Squadron. But, yeah, turns out Rose Squadron is probably named in memory. It, almost entirely true. Uh, well, no, uncer- with, with a complete certainty, that is the case. Yeah. Um, Rogue Squadron is named in memory of Rogue One. Um, and I got to say, like, once K2 goes down, like, I think I teared up a little bit because, like, that was the moment when I realized, like, there's nobody getting out of this alive. Like, it's very clear at this point, all of our heroes are sort of pinned down. Is that down. when you squeeze my knee a little bit? I, yeah, may have been. <laughs> um, but there, there was... Uh, this is the point where, you know, all of our heroes are sort of pinned down and they're the underdogs in every aspect. And I'm thinking, you know, in typical Star Wars fashion, it, it almost it actually reminded me a lot of Jedi in, in that. And it was like uh, when Han Solo and Leia are pinned down with uh, R2 at the um, shield generator or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they're surrounded by stormtroopers. But it turns out, you know, our you know plucky little Ewoks stole a, a AT-AT, ATST, ATST. Um, and everything was fine. And so I was looking for a moment like that, but once K2 goes down, I was like, that's not the movie I'm watching. Like nobody, nobody, maybe, maybe Jen makes it like at this point I was like, maybe Jen makes it out of this, but, uh, that, that I wasn't even feeling at all confident about. I was kind of thinking, no, I think I was right going into this. Every, yeah. Everybody dies. And that's essentially what happens. Like the next, the next 10 minutes are pretty brutal because all of these characters, which in such a very short time on screen, I, I'd grown pretty attached to do die like sort of one by one in the various, in varying levels of tragedy. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about a couple of cool moments in this yeah. movie. Okay. So number one, you just mentioned ATST. Yeah. So we got to see one of those march through a populated city yeah, and fucking rad. wreak havoc on shit. That's, that's pretty cool. Um, we also had ATATs up the wazoo on Scarif. Yeah. Cool thing about them, um, much like our own military, they take on different aesthetic properties depending on where they're at. Like, we all remember the AT-ATs on Hoth that were all white. Mm-hmm. These had very much more, um, they had like the brown cargo doors on the sides and shit yeah. like that to kind of blend in with the sand on the beaches and stuff. So that was that was kind of a neat touch, and I we thought. We get lots of fun types, types of stormtroopers. Yeah, we get the sand troopers. Sand troopers. There's black troopers. I can't remember what they're called. Shock troopers or something the, like that. Yeah, I can't remember exactly what those are, but it's got to be something better than black troopers. Like, I assume it. They're we're, not we're, called black troopers. We're gonna get letters, I think. Um, um and then uh, we also got uh, the the red five. Yeah, red five in, in his little X wing. They um, he didn't meet a a very pleasant end. No, but it explains why there was an opening. Mm-hmm. on red squadron for for luke yeah <laughs> um yeah Done a 100 percent on purpose obviously yeah also a cool cool little nod like we get we get the you know red leader gold leader etc red five standing by yeah, yeah. Uh, all of that was a lot of fun and, and as soon as that was another nice little nod as soon as you saw or as soon as you heard red five standing by you're like ah, fuck that guy <laughs> <laughs> he was the only one that was like no question about like well that guy's not making it out of this movie you're like well um, your last name is skywalker so you yeah. 
have fun. Yeah, good luck, buddy. Um, um the hammerhead, the hammerhead uh Corvette. That was yeah. funny. Yeah. I was like, I wonder why they call it a hammerhead. And then oh, I see the shape and I'm like, okay, cool. That makes sense. And then like 10 seconds later, it's like, you know, just rams into the Star Destroyer. Um, that was really cool. So should we talk about the meat and potatoes of the cool things that happen in this movie? I think we kind of have to. I think we're getting late in the game. It's time, to, we it's time to bring out that big, the red... big black Sith Lord in the room. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Go ahead. Take this one. So. We all remember the iconic scene from the beginning of episode four when the, the Corvette gets overtaken by the Star Destroyer and Vader comes marching through the doors. Yeah. Um, we've never seen Vader quite like we see him in the moments before that happens, though. It's funny to me because as much as we saw Anakin Skywalker mowed down, not mowed down, but we know he mowed down a bunch of children. Um, this is the first time that I f- truly felt Vader being utterly. This imposing. was frightening. This was yeah. literally frightening because it, it's very much the same kind of setup. You see the you see the doors being cut open. You see Vader, but you see Vader absolutely fucking destroy people, like just murder them. Yeah, it was a little <laughs> bit like. Um, have you played uh, Force Unleashed? Yeah. Okay, so I think in both games it's a little bit like this. Like early on, you fight some stormtroopers, and they're you know not difficult. But by by the middle of the game, you see regular storm tracker, regular stormtroopers, and you're like cannon fodder. Like I don't even have to blink at you. It's just like four seconds. Like oh yeah, you're a stormtrooper. Guess what? You're gonna go flying fifty feet off this catwalk. Have a good time in the center of a sun or something like that. Um, it was like that. Like mm. it was Vader's on God mode. And everybody else around him might as well be ragdolls because they just get tossed around, sabered. Uh, he walks into a room full of what had to be like 10 or 12 guys uh, shooting at him with blasters and just no problem. Deflects that shit, knocks down half of them, I, force choke, force throw. Uh, yeah, you see you see him like pick the dude up and slam him to the ceiling and then drop him. And yeah, it was pretty fucking ridiculous. It was, it was amazing. And you've not ever seen Vader like that before. Like, yeah. So there was another nice little uh, thought I had about this too, which is we see Kylo in episode uh, seven and Kylo opens up with sort of a badass moment. Like he freezes that blaster bolt Mm -hmm. and I was like, wow, man, he must be really good. But by the end of the film, he's getting his ass handed to him by a um, not trained at all, um, you know, 120 pound girl or something like that. Mm. So I'm like, by the end of this you really wonder how proficient Kylo is. And then now I go in to see Rogue One and you see Vader. And it's just like, oh, Kylo's a bitch. Like, uh, he, he, you know, um, not even close. Like, this is this is what a Sith Lord at full strength looks like. Um, and it's devastating. Like, this is probably one of the favorite characterizations I've ever seen done of Vader. And definitely the most imposing moment I've felt for Vader in the entirety of the movies. It, it really is one of those situations where you're just like, why has he not already killed the Emperor? Dude, dude, no kidding. Like, because he just literally walks into there and shit just dies yeah it, it, it was literally like he set the god mode sheet and that's how it felt like everything else in the room was just such a rag doll to him you could see the sheer look of panic and terror on all these guys faces um brilliant brilliantly done vader um, vader was used a couple times in this movie um number one like the first time you encounter him in this movie i believe he's still on mustafar like yeah. they never actually set it on screen, which is weird because all the other planets that they went to, like it set it the, in the bottom corner of the screen. Mm-hmm. But there was very much lava flows all over and a giant 
fucking castle, so to speak. Yeah. Um, his chamber was pretty yeah. awesome. He was like floating in Bacta or something. I guess. Yeah. But just chilling, suspended in liquid, and like his door opens, and so they drain it, and he shows up. You know, a couple minutes later, in, in full Vader gear and whatnot. So, um, man, I, I, I thought this was awesome. Um, a friend of mine was texting me and talking about how they should just do a full Vader movie, and I'm just like, it's never gonna happen because they've already got the next several years plotted out. James Earl Jones isn't getting any younger. It's not. They're not gonna do it. But I don't think they need to. I think. I think I want to. I want to buy this film. On, on Blu-ray when it comes out and just watch that scene on repeat all the time. Yeah. This is another just, you know, I hate to take another swipe at the prequel trilogy, but this is another, like, you didn't get any of this and that. Like, you didn't get this sheer level of imposing, like, you didn't get exactly what what an, an absolute force uh, Vader in Anakin Skywalker is. So, um, yeah this was kind of an icing on the cake moment for me as far as rogue one goes which again was a little bit sad because again this this movie is the the last act of it is just tragic like this is nothing short of a tragedy um and uh that that encapsulated encapsulates it quite a bit just the sheer might of the empire in person um impersoned uh what's the word i'm looking for uh anyway embodied embodied in darth vader Mm. uh so, yeah, I'm going to say that this movie ended on a more tragic note even than Empire did. I mean, obviously, you didn't have the big the big reveal that Empire had. Uh, but it's definitely more of a downer. Yeah, because our heroes don't survive. I mean, they, they accomplish their mission, but they don't survive. Yeah, they do st- sort of manage to, to end it on a little bit of an upbeat, though, because that's when we get our final scene, which is like uh, Leia picking up the plans, and and then of course we know where it goes from there. So there is a little uptick just at the end, but it's it's tiny in in relation to the you know giant mountainous you know this level is, of bad. This is the one plot point that I will pick apart. Mm. So the big fish dude, uh huh, Akbar's Radis, Radis, yeah, Radis. The Mon Calamari are known specifically for being military tacticians. Mm-hmm. They've just received the plans to the Death Star. Mm-hmm. They're not the ones that are placing themselves between the Death Star and the rest of the fleet. <laughs> no, that was a little stupid. <laughs> um, it did set up a perfect scene with the Corellian Corvette dropping out of the belly of, of Radis's ship, though, and that ship actually being the one that has Leia on it and whatnot and escaping to hyperspace and what. It set that up perfectly, but... Um, this is another thing that that was just kind of one of those things i'm just like that that right there is the MacGuffin because this is another thing that bothers me in a technology in a in a galaxy that has space travel faster than light travel they they basically still operate on floppies like they had to point the sensor dish exactly where they wanted the the message to go it's it's such a tragic and and put the tape drive in the right slot yeah and then the empire has no backups and then when they get it on the thing, they, they don't, like, uh, immediately propagate it to a bunch of servers or anything like that. No. They're just like, no, we got to carry this floppy around and get it to Princess Leia. Yeah. Like, oh, man. Come on, really? Yeah. Yeah. Just fucking shoot that shit across the network. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Seriously. We got Wi-Fi. Yeah. Put that shit on everybody's drives. Somebody can get to the next ship. Whatever. Um, or, you know, better than yet, just send it. Like, whatever. Um, all right. I mean, so- do you tell me they don't even have a Cat 6 running through that ship? 
That's all I'm saying. Right? Right? Um, Fucking droid socks didn't do anything. I don't understand. Like, I mean, they have their little screwdriver thing, and that's, you know, they, yeah. they, they, it's weird because they have the some aspects of the technology, like with the communicators and stuff like that, but on the other aspects, it's like, nah, we still care, and floppies everywhere. But you lose this one, droid it's, penis it's like, in the in the ship vagina. Yeah. And, yeah. You, know. you, you have the same level of technology that, like, every 13-year-old kid did in, like, 1994. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so that's essentially the movie for me. Um, the the last thing I'll say is that uh, I'm I'm really upbeat or really positive about what they did with this particular movie and where they can go in the future from here. Uh, I really like that this is a sort of loose tie-in uh, to the main Star Wars saga, and I want them to take this as a little uh, dipping of the toe into the water of you know branching out away from the main saga because although there is a lot of good stuff I'm sure in the main saga that they can eke out. Um, I gotta say, I'm less excited now about a Han Solo standalone. Um, I'm less excited about, you know, you know, Lando and, and here's, stuff like here's that. The thing. I, I take the opposite view of you on this because to me, this is okay. Everybody knows when Disney bought it, everybody was just like, man, what's going to happen? Cause they bought it. And then like, they announced like within days of purchasing Lucasfilm, like, nope, we're going to do Star Wars every Star week. Wars. Yeah. Every year. And so people are like, oh, man, this is going to be terrible. Fucking Mickey Mouse, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay. My my whole aspect of it is like, well, it's not going to be worse than episode one. Yeah. And we've already seen what they did with Marvel at this point. So I wasn't really that worried. Well, here, yeah. But that's that's just kind of my, my whole thought on it is I'm just like, man, episode seven came out and it was fucking, it was great. Yeah. I loved episode seven. Still do. Um, to me, the fact that they're able to take this movie that essentially has... Darth Vader, Bail Organa, and then a bunch of people that you don't know, mm-hmm. and turn it into something that is an awesome Star Wars movie. I'm not reticent at all about a Han Solo movie or Lando yeah, or anything. Don't get me wrong; I'm gonna like it. I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah, it, you're gonna like it. Yeah, and you're gonna fucking wipe your chin when you're done. Like that's probably. <laughs> uh, I'm just saying, like. I, I don't necessarily want them to only stick like there's only so much spinoff they can do um, like at some point that well's got to run dry like they cannot keep you know spinning off like Mon Calamari's like third cousin or something like we'll, that we'll get we'll get a Boba Fett movie I think you're probably right and, Boba Fett movie is almost a foregone conclusion yeah and the Han Solo movie is going to be standalone it's not like it's going to spin off a separate trilogy of Han Solo movies or or Lando Calrissian movies or anything like that yeah not unless Peter Jackson gets involved <laughs> No. Um, and then after that, I kind of think it's a matter because, okay, so we got episode eight next year. Yeah. We got Hansel the year after. And then we got episode nine. And then Boba Fett's going to probably follow that, right? According That's to the, the schedule that they. Assumption. I'm not sure. Yeah. Is that confirmed? I don't, know, I don't know if anything's confirmed, but they said one a year. And mm-hmm. I don't think you can put off episode nine more than that. No, no. So, I more meant the Boba Fett. The Boba Fett project, is that like a go? I As far as I've heard, okay, nobody knows. I don't think, but okay, like, so it's not, it's not confirmed, but so it is it's like a, there's a lot of smoke to this. We, we, yeah. We assume that, that Boba Fett's coming off uh, after episode nine. What do you do after that? Yeah. I've heard, I've heard maybe an Obi-Wan movie, which See, the that, Obi-Wan movie is the one that could be the most interesting to me. And it's the one that actually, I think is probably kind of like, you don't have to recast. No, because you've got you and McGregor. I would just get you in. Yeah. Yeah. And he's going to be of the same age that like, you would see living on Tatooine. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So 
I mean, you can do a ton of stuff with Star Wars. This was the first shot of let's do something that's not related. It's related to the story, but not related to the characters that we know. Other than obviously we had the Vader appearance. Yeah. So I'm I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful for what the future holds. I am super fucking excited for episode eight, more so than I was even after episode seven, just because I'm like, okay, these guys have done two movies now, and they're both fucking great. So let's go. Yeah, and it's clear, especially with Rogue One, that they're willing to do something that's a little bit different. And that was the big, like, if anybody had any complaints about Episode 7, it was that it was very much an homage to um, Episode 4, particularly. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think now that that's out of the way, like, we can get a really different, interesting story with Episode 8 and 9. So, bring it on. All right, guys, that's the Rogue One podcast. We are going to be back, um, I'm sure, for episode eight next year. Until then, you can probably follow all of our regular bullshit at whatever.co. Um, and uh, we are, of course, on Twitter as well. Twitter.com at, or no, sorry, at whatever show on Twitter in the Twitter parlance. Um, Facebook? Facebook.com slash whatever show. Yeah. Email your questions and comments and so on to questions at whatever.co. And we will uh, respond quickly. If you probably. want to pay us money, to shill your shit on our show, you can email us at sponsors at whatever.co. For sure. Uh, we would be more than happy to shill for basically anybody. We will shill your shit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. We will see you with our regular episode, which uh, you'd probably come out later this week. Yeah. Reebok, we're looking at you. Yeah, come on, Reebok. <laughs>